This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Uh, still not quite sure what's going on with football time. We're going to pretend that it is going to happen time. I'm not really sure what to say at this right now time because every week almost kind of feels like the same time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown. Coming to you here on a Thursday morning. I guess we're recording this on a Thursday morning. Going to drop it to you hopefully by Thursday at lunchtime. Shouldn't be an issue doing that unless I hit a button wrong or, you know, Pat goes on one of his cussing rants or whatever it is that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, because he he will do that. But uh, as I just mentioned a moment ago, not just me on this podcast, it is from uh, the other side of town in a completely uh, undisclosed location. Uh, it is our good friend Patrick Brown, the best Tennessee football beat writer on the planet. What's going on, man? Uh, nothing much. Just I think like everybody else, wondering what what the heck's going to happen with the season. Yeah, th- there's a, a couple things we're going to discuss on this this episode here. We're going to do a couple segments. Um, first off, I do want to say that for everyone who listened to the podcast on I think it was Tuesday. It was. Uh, it was Tuesday. Uh, we had a couple of uh, little sound issues. Uh, there was an issue uh, with, I think, Ramey's microphone, Grant Ramey's microphone. I think we're we're getting that addressed as well. Uh, Ryan was calling in from a different spot also, and so we didn't – his volume wasn't the best either. But uh, we, we, uh, we're we going to get all that straightened out. We apologize for that. That was uh, something that we can clean up, and we will. Uh, that was the, the first thing. And then the second thing um, – I guess just uh, really quickly on this, I'll touch on this. Uh, this is a basketball note. Uh, Tennessee, if you've not been following this in the news, there ha- has been kicked around some uh, – th- there's some discussions going on right now about what's going to happen with international college students. And, and I know for Tennessee basketball, this is a pertinent topic because almost 33% of the roster of the scholarship players uh, were not born in the United States. Uh, one of them, uh, Olivier Kumwa, did go to uh, high school in the United States, but uh, the rest of them, uh, and, and so did uh, Uros Plasic, but a couple of them uh, came directly from overseas. And so there are some some mild uh, concerns there, I guess you could say at the moment, but uh, we'll see where that goes. I know that some of those, um, a couple of colleges uh, have decided they're going to go ahead and sue uh, to try to get those laws changed. Uh, and, and so hopefully... Uh, they can get that worked out where those guys will not have to be uh, temporarily sent home by ice, which I, I would imagine it would be hard for them to play if there is a season and ice says you can't be in America. I imagine that would be a slight impediment uh, to playing. Uh, so 
Uh, clearly, they're working on that. Tennessee's well aware of it. They're they're going through it. They think they're going to be okay. Um, but we were probably going to get some questions about that, so I went ahead and addressed that on the front end. Tennessee's not overly concerned about that, um, as far as I understand it at this point. Um, but I guess, Pat, uh, on that, that COVID topic still, uh, the big news came out, I believe it came out officially Wednesday, uh, that the Ivy League is not going to play fall sports at all. They will not entertain the possibility of playing sports until January 1st at the earliest, uh, as some of these uh, COVID numbers uh, start to kind of still spike a little bit in some areas. Uh, they've just decided to go ahead and they're, they're just not going to do fall sports. So they might play uh, some spring football. We'll see. Um, but Pat, I think people, people need to, who don't really follow this a ton maybe, or, or stuff that's outside the SEC, this might not have any impact on Tennessee, right? Uh, as for now, it does not appear to, um, and a lot of people made the connection that uh, the Ivy league was the first team, uh, first league to cancel, uh, it's conference basketball tournament back in March. Correct. Correct. Um, and then everything else followed suit. And so a lot of people are putting two and two together, maybe jump to the conclusion and, and, you know, maybe they're not wrong to do so the way things are trending definitely isn't in the right direction at this point, uh, just from the surface of things. But, um, People are saying that that you know, that doesn't bode well for football season. Let's get this straight: what the what the SEC and what Power Five conferences are going to do is not going to be based on what the Ivy League is going to do. Those are two different football planets in terms of yes. uh, the revenue, um, the the location. Even you know, there's not a lot of you know, there's not a lot of Power Five programs up in the up in the Northeast like uh, that are in the footprint that the Ivy League is in. So, uh, jumping to that conclusion at this point is is premature now. It, if the power five had, ends up having to, to push the season back to the spring or, or, or whatever, um, that that's obviously still on the table. And, um, as our own Brandon Marcello, who's moved to our, uh, who's in more of a national role for us, he's, he's been pretty locked in on a lot of this stuff. Uh, he's pretty locked in with some of these conference commissioners and, uh, administrators. And, uh, he reported yesterday that although the power five, you know, decision makers aren't really paying attention to what the Ivy league is doing, uh, optimism obviously is dwindling and, and it's dropping and, and more pessimism is, is starting to um, come into everybody's thinking um, about starting the season on time. Now, that's not to say they're definitely going to cancel the season or push it back to the spring. Uh, I said earlier this week on, on our first podcast that I didn't think a, a spring season was really feasible from a, you know, for, for players uh, or really for the sport at all, just because you have so many guys sitting out to get ready for the NFL. You run the risk of players getting hurt. Uh, and missing two seasons is they're going to be playing one in a year uh, and all those kind of things. But um, yeah, I mean, as, as we get closer to the time frame when decisions are going to have to be made about whether they're going to start playing football Labor Day weekend. Um, and, and as things are with, with COVID seem to be going in a different direction, more teams are having to shut workouts down as they have more positive tests. Um, it, it's, it's starting to look um, a little bit more, pessimistic and a little bit more disheartening for uh everyone who was hoping that that football season would be starting on time and everything would be okay um and obviously uh we'll just have to to see when those decisions get made i think by the end of the month i I would expect uh, maybe a little bit more clarity on what's going to happen with with the fall yeah that's the timetable that that i've heard as well pretty consistently uh is that by by sort of the end of july 
uh, is, is when they're going to really, I mean, you're, you're starting, you know, you would have camps or practices starting then around, you know, a couple weeks after that, a week after that. So, so that's really the time when they would have to start kind of nailing all this down. And I know this is incredibly frustrating for everyone. I, I know, but believe it, believe us, uh, you know, this is our lives, uh, our professional lives are dedicated to this stuff. So, so we are, uh, we are uh, monitoring this as much as anyone. Uh, we, we have as much desire as anyone to get answers on this. Um, but right now, uh, there just aren't a ton of answers uh, out there to be had. There, we kind of have to wait and see what the conferences want to do. Obviously, the the Ivy League is an FCS program or FCS league, I should say. So that's a different planet. Now, are, are there situations where uh, that's already causing some schedule issues? Yes, there are some Ivy League teams who are going to, uh, I, I believe, uh, play some FBS teams uh, this season of football. Uh, several several of them are going to play in basketball. I know, for instance, uh, Alabama was scheduled to go play at Yale on uh, December first. Um, so maybe they can have a spelling bee instead. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'd kind of like to see that. But you know, I, I'm kidding. But you know, so this is already messing with some things scheduling wise. And, and that's just, that's just on the front end of this. We, you know, this is going to, if anyone has any thoughts in their mind about this being a regular FBS college football season in terms of the schedule being played as it is with the number of fans in the stands as usual, I think you need to go ahead and get that possibility out of your head. I just don't think that's going to happen. Do I know that's not going to happen? Uh, no, I, I don't. I mean, with this thing, I don't know that any of us, including the so-called experts, really know everything. Clearly, uh, there there are no experts with this thing. Uh, it's been surprising people uh, to, to one degree or another from the beginning. So we don't know. But uh, what really should open people's eyes, uh, if they weren't already opened, was uh, a few days ago, it was definitely earlier this week, when South Carolina Athletic Director Ray Tanner went on a radio show and said that he, he was just spitballing. And he said he, he didn't know this for sure, but he was throwing numbers out there like maybe 15,000 in the stands, which if you start doing the math on some of these places and you go, okay, what's six feet of, of distance? Well, you, you take that down by uh, that much, and that's about the number that you would get. So, I mean, that that's kind of a maybe almost at this point an optimistic number uh, i i would say uh it, to well, me the, it, the 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 ravens the baltimore ravens came out and said that they their, their limited capacity was going to be uh i don't know if they said it was going to be fourteen thousand or or the percentage that they determined that it would as you mentioned would be safe to social distance uh would limit it to about fourteen thousand. and their stadium seats i think in the seventy thousand seventy five thousand range i think yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I think that that's probably, and they're, I think they're one of the first NFL franchises to come out and say, okay, we're limiting it. Uh, it'll be about this many people. And I think that that's probably, um, going to be maybe a, a I don't want to say precedent, but, um, uh, I, I know a lot of colleges and a lot of universities are probably looking not to the NFL for guys necessarily, but they're, they're seeing what the NFL is going to do. Um, and it's almost like, who's going to be who's going to make the first move when it comes to playing the season or making a decision about playing the season, making a decision about stadium capacity or who gets in all that stuff. Um, and, and the Ivy league is, you know, they kind of do their own thing. They've always kind of done their own thing. Um, and 
you know, they, they don't, they're not following anybody's they're, they're doing what, uh, you know, kind of what they do, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to, it's, it's hard not to be losing a little bit of optimism just based on cases going up and, and really, um, a lot, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, college athletes are barely affected by, by COVID still, you, you still don't want this running through a whole team. Um, you know, you, you don't want to have a bunch of players getting, you know, potentially getting sick. You don't want to run it through a locker room. You don't want it to transmit team to team, all those kinds of things. And, um, but I imagine a lot of these players probably want to play. And I think Jim Harbaugh said that earlier this week too. He, he kind of said some stuff that was interesting and I'm a known Jim Harbaugh hater, but, uh, he, he said that, you know, he didn't think that there was any correlation between playing sports and, a, and causing a spike in, in COVID um, that he's seen. And, and I guess we don't know that yet because nobody's really started playing sports uh, in America so far. But um, he said a lot of his players want to play. And, and I'm sure a lot of these guys, you know, this is, you know, they only get so much time in college. And if there's a way for, for them to play, they're going to want to play. Yeah, the, the even with the risks, and there are risks, obviously. Yeah, I mean, and, and of course, you because you, know, you have players with probably some, you know, obviously some pre-existing conditions or some maybe some genetical, uh, some some genetic things they don't know about yet that could be a bad mix with this. And and then you've also got the possibility that even if a couple of them, if they don't die, if they get seriously sick, you're talking about reduced lung capacity. You know, there, there's things going forward that you know, not just for being an athlete, but for quality of life that that would be, I think, a concern. And I want to say this. Clearly, I am not a doctor at all, uh, so I am going to defer all of that talk to the medical experts. Uh, the only thing I know is that if you're going out in public, wear a freaking mask. That's that's pretty obvious at this point. That's like the one thing that pretty much everyone in the medical industry is saying. Just go ahead and do that. Uh, wash your hands and do that. Um, but in terms of, of where things go, I, I know that there is a – the difference to me between – the NFL and college, there, there are many differences, but, but the biggest one that I see is that you really, it's really going to be hard to keep college kids in a bubble. Um, you know, and, and there was a concern. Think about the thing, the way the thing's spreading right now when kids are technically, most of them are at home. Um, and I'm sure they're, you know, obviously they're going out there doing things. A couple of idiots places are having big parties and everything. And uh, okay, people are going to do that. But if you take kids from all over the country and you put them back on a college campus, that is a Petri dish where that thing is going to get all over the place. And it may not even affect those people as much, maybe, hopefully, but they would still be potentially asymptomatic spreaders to people who would be more vulnerable, their parents, other people around town, uh, their grandparents, certainly. And, and so there are there, there's such a large level of things to be concerned about. And with the NFL, you've got essentially 30 people uh, plus one commissioner who are going to make those decisions, more or less. I mean, unless you have the government step in, that, that that's the decision-making process there. With college sports, you've got uh, every single conference commissioner. Uh, you have got, on top of that, every single school's athletic director. Um, you know, then you have the university administration at each school. You've got a lot of, kind of a lot of cooks in that kitchen. And that makes things a lot more complicated. I can tell you for sure. Now I know this for a fact uh, at Tennessee, it, it's happening. It, it's happening at every campus, probably ar around the block. I would imagine uh, they are having discussions on this 
every single day. And they're not just athletics. They're, you know, when can kids come back on campus? Can they come back on campus? Which classes can be done um, remotely? Which ones don't? Which employees need to be on campus? Which ones don't? Uh, They're having these discussions. I mean, they're putting in... I'll be candid with you. Uh, my my wife works in um, at the university level uh, in administration, and they're clocking in stupid amounts of time right now. They are working their tails off trying to look at every single angle of this. What can they do? What can they not do? Um, sort of have different contingency plans. There are. It's a mess. Just to be honest with you, it's a total mess, and and it's hard to say what's going to happen. But I can tell you this. Um, it will not be normal this season. Just if you had any, if you had any thoughts in your mind, this is going to be totally normal. I would go ahead and get those out of your head. I would set your expectations pretty low, uh, and that way, if something good happens, you can be pleasantly surprised by it. That that's what I would recommend. Yeah, and, and you know, my wife's a teacher, so obviously, what you know, what what happens with schools is something that we're we're following closely in in, in our neck of the woods, and and so is everybody that has kids, because I mean. Uh, and there's there's a lot of y'all out there that um, that are in that situation wondering what what's going to happen with schools um, and, and just the feasibility of of, uh, of getting hundreds of kids into a confined space how that's going to work or how that's going to look so um, yeah it's 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 tough logis- logistically but um, you know we're getting to the point now where some of those decisions are going to have to be made and you know I've thought for a while that there was no way there would be full stadiums and. <clears throat> Uh, and now it's it's a question really more is is how many are going to get let in is it going to be nobody is it going to be 20 percent capacity uh is there any way they can get it up to 50 and 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 maintain what they need to maintain uh to to make it safe for fans um and and will they play the season on time it seems like uh if we keep getting reports like uh, of teams that are pausing workouts uh, Ohio State, North Carolina became the latest this week. Actually, on <clears throat> on Wednesday that happened. Um, if if those things keep happening over the next two weeks, then you're getting into the, to the part where, okay, if they have to shut down workouts and you know quarantine for seven days, they're getting into the window of you know practices are supposed to start on August seventh. So uh, then you're getting into that range. So um, <clears throat> and, and as you mentioned, the, the big thing with college athletes is you you can try to put them in a bubble, but you kind of can't. Um, and then, you know, even if you don't put them in a bubble, if campuses are partially open in some way, if you have 40% of your student enrollment is taking classes online and your, and your, your athletes are part of that, they're going to be out and, uh, and, and near people that, that are, you know, potentially out and, and not in the bubble. So, um, but it, it's just, it, it's odd to me, Wes, you know, I, I look at some of the numbers, you know, the MLS started playing Wednesday night. Um, and they've had one team withdrawal for 10 tests, 10, 10 positive tests. Mm-hmm. I think the Nashville team is, is maybe on the verge of getting kicked out because they went up to like nine, I think I read. Yep. So that's 19 between two, two teams. Uh, the Premier League over in England has been testing twice a week for six weeks, and they've had 18 out of like 16,000 tests. I, just, I, I don't understand how there's that big of a, of a difference there. Like, like what did they do uh, that, that we didn't do? Uh, over here in, in America and, and why is American sports seems like all these restart efforts seem to be hitting a lot of r- bumps in the road. Whereas a lot of European soccer leagues have, have come back and have not had any of those things. So um, I'm wondering what's <clears throat> kind of what's going on there. If that's been an indication that we as a country haven't done what we needed to do. Um, but then again, it's also just, it's also just a, a smaller portion of the population, but 
but yeah, so uh, again, I, I would think we're, by the end of the month, I would think Greg Sankey, the SEC, and the other Power Five conference commissioners need to probably take all of these decisions, all these scenarios that they've discussed, and and, and sort of pick one. And uh, I, I think one that is potentially a possibility is playing an only uh, a conference only season, which would cost Tennessee yep. three home games against Charlotte, Troy, and Furman, um, and, and would uh, cost them. Uh, a trip to Oklahoma, which a lot of people were looking forward to that game as sort of a, maybe a litmus test game for Tennessee early in the season. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those things, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, you know, without getting too much into it, I think as a country, we're just rebellious people by our nature. That's sort of, it's sort of the whole American cowboy thing. That's just kind of how we are. We don't really like being told what to do, whether it's, it's good or bad. Um, and, and I'll leave that at that, but you know, I, I think that, um, with Tennessee specifically, uh, unless things – I know they were doing another round or another battery of tests this week. Uh, I've not heard much about that yet, Pat, in terms of results. Have you? And we're recording this around Thursday, no, late morning. No, I, I think they only tested on Tuesday. I don't know what the turnaround is time uh, what the turnaround time is for uh, tests, but I imagine that there's a lot of tests. I don't, I don't think the football team was maybe the only group that was getting tested this week, and obviously the staff too, but uh, I have not heard as of – late thursday morning what what those results are because as of now i mean you know this is and guys this is this is me knocking on wood here um but i i i I heard it i i think that um you know right now they've had uh, a couple of basketball players uh, have tested positive uh, men's basketball players i'm not aware of any football players who have tested positive one graduate assistant coach did um, but uh, I don't know that any players have, and, and I think it's naive to think that 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 it'll stay that way. Um, but I mean, if they can keep that low, you know, they can at least keep working out, keep practicing, stay in shape, and then you know, wait and see what happens uh, with the season. But Pat, if that game is played before we go to break, um, and, and it's nice to see these things, even if it's like a little bit naive, even if it's a little bit. Um, you know, kind of pie in the sky, kind of being naive at this point. Uh, there were lines released, I believe, for the, the the week one games for college football. So if they happen, uh, there have now been lines put on them, and that was kind of fun to see, wasn't it? It's kind of like, a, oh, hey, it almost felt like normal. Yeah, you know, Vegas isn't slowing down, right? You know, the, for nothing. Vegas slows down for nothing. Are still making, they're still making lines. They were still making uh, – win totals and all that stuff back in March and April and into May when it was even more uncertainty. Um, but yeah, they, the circus sports has come out with uh, some opening lines for the opening week of the season. And Tennessee has been uh, installed as a 24 point favorite against Charlotte. Uh, I imagine a lot of Tennessee fans are maybe having deja vu. Cause I think Tennessee was also a 24 point favorite against Georgia state last season in the opener and we all we all saw what happened there womp, womp. um don't want to bring that up we've already had a, a lot of pessimism in this podcast i feel like so <laughs> yeah. don't need to dwell too much on the past um but uh but yeah charlotte is um they're they're an interesting team uh will healy is obviously a guy that a lot of, i think a lot of tennessee fans are familiar with because he's from chattanooga he was the assistant there with the mocks he you know Worked a miracle over in Clarksville at Austin P, yes, turning them around. I think they were one in forty-five in the four-year stretch, and then he had them win in eight games. Um, and then the year after they left, they made the playoffs in the FCS. So, um, and, and last season he got Charlotte from you know Charlotte was like Tennessee. They were at two of five at one point, and then 
uh, got hot towards the end of the season, played really well down the stretch, uh, and got to their program's first bowl game. So, um, yeah, you know, he- Healy will will have his guys fired up. They have they have some really important players to to replace. Alex Highsmith was a third round pick, I think, 102nd overall. Uh, was one of the nation's leaders in sacks last season. Tennessee doesn't have to deal with him. I'm sure they're uh, excited about that. But Charlotte's got a veteran quarterback that's a, a good passer and a good runner. I think he led Conference USA in pass rating last season. So if this game gets played, um, I, I don't know that it'll be a cakewalk. And, and a lot of you know, if you're Tennessee, you have pretty obvious motivation, right? You're like, let's not ha- let's not let have what happened last year happen again. You know, let's not get fool me once, shame on. How's it go, Wes? Yeah, uh, you fool me. You can't fool me again. Right. Yeah. Whatever Michael Scott says, uh, that's the line I'm trying to make. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and it should be worth noting that that the paycheck for this game for Tennessee is 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 they were going to pay Charlotte 1.3 million. Um, and what's interesting is is if they do move to a conference only season, are are these games automatically canceled, or could a team be like, if it's an in-state team? Or, you know, it's not like you're asking a team to travel across the country, you know, Charlotte's down the road a little bit. Uh, would they still play that game? And the argument from Tennessee standpoint is, well, you know, if we're going to be losing a whole bunch of revenue, do we really want to part ways with $1.3 million just to play this game? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're Charlotte, you're like, we may get beat by 40 points, but we, you know, we'll, we'll take the $1.3 million for our, you know, our football programs only in, uh, it's seventh season yeah. of existence. Yeah, we, we, we'd like to have shoulder pads. So, yes, and yeah. so that, that's, that's the interesting thing with uh, uh, with those non-conference games. In, in Tennessee's case, they're playing a team, you know, team from North Carolina, team from South Carolina, team from Alabama. So it's not like, again, it's not like you're asking those teams to come across the country to play you. Um, but, uh, yeah, so yeah, but like you said, it is nice to see those lines out. Um, and I guess, you know, as I was writing that on Thursday morning, I was just like, I hope this game gets played. Uh, and, there, and I should point out, there is, in all of these contracts, a uh, impossibility clause, a, basically a provision that says uh, if the game doesn't get played for an act of God, fire, flood, war, pandemic is actually on there, is actually in the contract, which is kind of disheartening. But um, yeah. then, then there's no there's no penalty for not playing the game makes sense guys we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna step away pay pay some bills listen to some products and services and in-house ads and all those other fun things we're gonna come back and we're gonna discuss uh, when we come back we promise uh, actual football uh, will be the uh, the primary point of discussion so actual football uh, discussed patrick uh, recently wrote a, a really good series on uh, kind of tennessee's most important players going into the season i, I really enjoy reading that every off season and uh, he's just completed it so we're going to talk about that when we come back but first we're going to go pay some bills hashtag ad. introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With Fuel Cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown coming to you here on a Thursday morning. You'll probably be hearing this around lunchtime on Thursday, talking Tennessee football primarily in this episode. Uh, again, I want to mention this before we go into the second segment, guys. If, if The very best thing you can do to help this podcast out is to go ahead and go in there to wherever you're listening to it, whether that's on Spotify, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, whether that's on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher. We're on all of them. If you want to go, uh, if you could go in there, Google Play also, if you could go in there and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. There is nothing that you can do out there that will help us more than that. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we ask, in fact, I, maybe like one of two things we ask. One, we ask you to listen to it because that's nice. Two, go in there, rate, and review it, please. It only takes you a couple minutes, and it does us a tremendous service. So please go in there and do that if you get a chance. As I mentioned earlier, this is Wes Rucker coming to you with Patrick Brown talking a little Tennessee football. And, and Pat, you just wrote uh, every offseason you do this kind of series on ranking Tennessee's most important players coming into the season. This year I believe it was uh, 20 for 20, basically, on a Tennessee more or less. Tennessee's, Tennessee's 20 most important players. Maybe not necessarily the best players in order, but a lot of them are obviously the best players. But the most important players to the cause. So when you are mapping that out going into it from the first day, sort of what is your what what's your ranking process? What goes through your mind when you're making this these decisions? Well, obviously you want to start with who the best players are because usually those guys are near the the top of the list. Then you also factor in okay, who are the guys they could at least afford to lose? So some guys may be higher on the list than normal cuz uh, there's not a lot of depth behind them. If Tennessee lost them, they'd be in a world of hurt, uh, things like that. So um, if they're replacing a player that uh, is uh, – if they're replacing a great player that left, obviously that's another um, kind of factor that I weigh in because Tennessee needs this guy to be really good. They need this guy to play well that if they're going to be uh, – if they're going to continue in the right direction this season. So those are probably the three biggest factors. Um in the past, when I've done this list, I have have sometimes grouped players together like, oh, the number two wide receiver, uh, the backup quarterback, what have you. Uh, I tried to stay away from that this season um, and also trim the list down. I think last uh, – for 2019, I think it was 25. Uh, but 20 for 20 just seemed to – it just seemed too uh, – it seemed to make too much sense to pass up. So I went with that uh, I went that route. Yeah, 20 for 2020. It just uh, – there's a lot of – you know, it just it flows. It, it flows off the tongue when you're reading it. It's nice. It's a nice series. And and really, I mean, you know, if you asked, you know, all four guys on this staff, uh, GoVols 24-7, to make our own lists, I think they would all be a little bit different. But by and large, I mean, you know, if I were to make my own, there wouldn't be a lot of huge changes that I would make on this list. I think, you know, basically it's it was probably a bad sign for me. Yeah. If I'm being honest, yeah, I probably should have said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Uh, you know, that probably would be better for you, but I mean, I, I, I liked it starting right there with number 20 and going on down to number one. I mean, I think those are all good ones. I mean, I guess we'll start off 
quickly at the top. Number one, can we just go ahead and read the list? Yeah, you you go ahead and you you want you go ahead and count down the list, and then we'll talk about some of the the uh, interesting names on there. Okay, uh, twenty was Ramel Keaton. Nineteen was Brent Smaglia. Eighteen Daryl Middleton. Seventeen Quaveris Crouch. Sixteen Emmett Gooden. Fifteen Aubrey Solomon. Fourteen Ty Chandler. Thirteen Sean Schamberger. Twelve Kavon Bennett. Eleven Austin Pope. Uh, Ten was Cade Mays. Nine Wanye Morris. Uh, eight Eric Gray. Seven Jalen McCullough. Six Josh Palmer. Five Brandon Kennedy. Four Bryce Thompson. Three Henry Toto, two Trey Smith, and number one was Derek Garantano. Yeah, and um, you know I I think that you know I may have had Toto two and Smith three just because of the <clears throat> the options at those positions, but that that would probably be my top three right there is the same top three you had. I mean, we'll start I guess with number one, kind of obvious, right? I mean, this it's kind of oversimplifying it a little bit to say that the quarterback is number one, but when we have seen what Garantano can do when he's playing well uh, for this team versus how much the team can struggle when he's not playing well. I mean, it was probably the most obvious, the easiest decision on the list for you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you just, you just have to look at last season when, when Garantano played poorly. Tennessee typically lost. You look at the Georgia State games, look at the BYU game, Florida, uh, you know, the, the decision against Alabama, that mistake obviously uh, – was a big moment but when he came off the bench and played well you know they don't beat mississippi state without him they don't beat they definitely don't beat kentucky without him uh he lit missouri up pretty good played pretty well against south carolina too coming off the bench and um i i i think with this the way this team is is tennessee still isn't the point where they can overcome like pedestrian quarterback play correct um and i just don't know that with you know, I, i've said this before but i think tennessee's always going to be pretty good on defense um, as long as Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Ainsley are kind of running the show. Um, and they have a lot of veterans on this team. So to throw a freshman quarterback or a, a young, more erratic, uh, riskier quarterback like a Brian Maurer, um, you know, Harrison Bailey's had two collegiate practices up to this point. Uh, so I don't want to put too much on him too soon. Uh, it just seems it, it just seems like a big risk. And I don't know that uh, – and Jeremy Pruitt has shown he will he, – he will – kind of move his chess pieces at quarterback if he needs to. But um, it just seemed like maybe a risk, maybe a little bit too far, stretch too far maybe to take this veteran team that could have a good defense, could have a good running game, and put a put a freshman or, or a young quarterback out there that's going to be a little bit more mistake-prone. Now, that's just not to say that Garantano has not been mistake-prone. As I mentioned, he threw eight interceptions last season and, and only had five his first two seasons. So uh, he needs to take better care of the ball um, and, and – you know, I think he he needs to be like a little bit above a, a game manager, right? Like he, he doesn't, you know, they Correct. need him to make some throws. They need him to make some plays. But they also, you know, if he goes out there and like doesn't lose them games, that might be good enough most weeks. Um, maybe not against the big, maybe not against the big four that they're going to play. Um, but against some of these other, these other teams, if, if he goes out there and plays clean football, keeps them in the right plays, makes the right decisions, doesn't throw interceptions, uh, then Tennessee will have a better chance uh, to win most weeks than not. Yeah, I think that the you know the point you made about when he played well, Tennessee usually won. When he didn't, they usually lost. I think there weren't many outliers to that. I think probably Indiana in the bowl game was one. I don't think Garantano had a very good day, but he did rally late and made some big throws when Tennessee needed them. So 
Um, it's kind of he hard. didn't play great against Vanderbilt, but it was also in a in a deluge. Yeah, so that that's you know throw throw everything out the window. And it was and Vanderbilt because they're terrible. Yeah, I mean that's you know hey that's the weather. You know I, I get all that. But what's interesting is that I think most people, if they were to go look at that top six, Pat, I don't know that anybody. I mean, maybe they would make some adjustments in terms of where you ranked them within that six, but I don't know that anybody could have any issues with those top six. And I don't have an issue with number seven, but I think it may have surprised some people that you had Jalen McCullough up that high. Elaborate on that, if you will, please. I like that pick, but I think that's one that definitely needs some discussion. Well, uh, first of all, I think I think highly of McCullough. I think he's going to be a really good player. I think Tennessee's coaching staff thinks he's going to be a really good player. Um, and, and he, he sort of fits into that. Uh, they need him to play well, kind of mo- and He kind of fits into that, that aspect of, of the criteria for the list. Cause, um, uh, Tennessee's defense doesn't have the season it had last season without Nigel warrior playing really well. I think we can all agree to that. Um, and, and you know, he's gone, uh, who are they going to start next to McCullough? It, you know, it's pretty safe to assume McCullough is going to be one of those guys going to be one of the starters back there at safety um they obviously need him to play well and if you know the options behind him are decent but you know thea jackson's a, a solid player he's not a, not a spectacular player Javon flowers has a lot of upside but has not been able to get through a season so uh if something happened to mccullough you know they might have to move sean Schamberger back there and, and hope for the best but um, I, I think he is a player that could be really good. I think he can be sort of a foundational guy on your defense, a guy that makes sure uh, he's got the capability to be sort of a voice back there um, and, and make sure that everybody's on the same page with what covers they're playing, who's got what, um, and, and those things. And um, I just remember last season, Tennessee's coaching staff pushed him really hard in practice, and I think that's a, a sign of what they think he can be and what they want him to be as a player. Uh, and so, and, and we hear Pruitt say this too, that if you're going to play great defense, it starts at the back end. It starts with your secondary and, um, it, it starts with maybe even your, your guys at the, on the back line, because, um, you know, Tennessee has been really good at not allowing a lot of big plays the past two seasons. Um, and, and they need that to continue because if, if you're giving up home run plays every so often, you're, you're obviously going to struggle as defense. So uh, I think McCullough is going to be a really important piece of this defense and that's why he was up that high for me yeah and you had you also had uh gray uh, six spots higher than chandler on the list that doesn't bother me i think um last season you know running back's kind of a hot hand situation uh, for tennessee it has been recently um the past couple of years anyway but but it looks to me like i i don't know that it was as simple last season as as eric gray just kind of takes the mantle late uh and and just he's the guy now i think there's still going to be a little bit of there'll be games where Chandler maybe touches the ball a little bit more, but I don't think that was just a simple um, kind of Eric Gray got hot late in the season. I think it's somewhere in between those things. I think that was slightly a changing of the guard, but not totally one. Is that fair or is that uh, too early to say? Uh, I think it's probably too early to say. I mean, I I think they're going to split carries. I do think that uh, I think Gray is a better player first of all. Uh, but there's still some questions that, that he needs to answer. Was that a two game flash in the pan or is that exactly, what, you know, is that what we should expect moving forward? Um, and, and with Chandler, I think he's a solid, dependable player. You know what you're going to get from him. He's a really hard, hard worker. Good, uh, good guy to have on your team. Uh, it's just, it feels like he's got another level that, that he's capable of getting to. And is he going to get to it? Um, I think he, um, you know, we've seen him 
take some plays to the house in the past. He's obviously got pretty good speed, uh, but he's, you know, he, he's had trouble staying healthy in bits and pieces. He's missed games and been, you know, not been a hundred percent. And um, I, I, I just keep visioning plays from last season where he, <clears throat> if there was, a, if he makes one guy miss, yes, takes a four yard run and turns it into a 25 yard run. And, and those are, those are big plays. This he's going to need, uh, how, how do they replace those explosive plays? Because the guys making them all last season were Jamal Jennings, Marcos Calloway for the most part, and Josh Palmer too. But um, with, with a lot of those explosive chunk plays that, that Tennessee um, is losing from those wide receivers, um, it's, it's not fair to expect some of you know, all those new wide receivers come in there and, and do the exact same thing, even if you're, taking, if you're trying to get it from six guys to replicate what those two guys did last year. You need your running backs to be able to make some plays. I think Tennessee is going to be kind of a ground and pound team i mean i would be if i was you know if i, if I had that offensive line essentially yes, yes. It's uh, easy, that would be the, my the focus simplest way the simplest way to do it um but you know if you uh if you can't hit some on some big plays and you're gonna have to be piecing together 10 and 12 you play touchdown drives and uh and when that happens you have to be just about perfect for those 10 you know 10 and 12 plays and and that's hard to do for a lot of teams it's hard to execute that well that many plays in a row. So you need to be able to hit some of those explosive plays and they need guys like Gray and Chandler to, uh, you know, make that linebacker miss in the hole or, or get past that safety or get to the edge um, and, and turn those three, four efficient runs into explosive runs. Um, and that doesn't mean they have to be 80 yard touchdowns every play. And, and I think sometimes that was uh, Tim Jordan. Let's pour one out for him. I think sometimes he tried to make too many home runs Yes. instead of just getting the easy plays. Uh, for I think both of these guys, and I think we saw it with Gray, what he was capable of doing. Um, you know, can you get those ten plus yard runs? Uh, and, and if Chandler can do that, and and he could, you know, we've seen guys that have been decent for their first three years, and then as a senior they kind of blow up. Uh, I think Chandler could be could be one of those guys. He's always worked hard, and and I think he's got a lot of ability too. Yeah, the thing with Chandler, I'll say this quickly, is that the other teams on scholarship too. So sometimes they're going to make plays, and that's okay. Uh, but with but with Chandler, his speed—if he can get behind people—he is really hard to catch. He is really, really, really fast. And there are so many times where he just has to make one more guy miss, and that's it. It's curtains. But he just—he's not been able to get that guy to miss him, and he's got to do that. You know, maybe it's not going to happen every week, but you know, at least you know every other week, you you gotta. You just got to find a way to have that one guy not tackle you because with the ability he has, I think this offensive line is going to get him uh, through that first wave uh, a decent bit. Now, they got to prove they can do that, but but I think this offensive line has a better chance than one Tennessee's had in, in a long time to get you through that first line pretty clean, that first level. Then if you just – it's that linebacker or that safety in the open field. If you can make that person miss – they're probably not going to catch you unless somebody takes a great angle from the other side. That's how fast he is. But he just doesn't do that consistently enough. So that's that's my thing with Chandler. There's a couple more things before we get out of here, Pat, I want to discuss about this. One is um, I think you might call this uh, the first point of uh, major difference that you and I would have if we did these lists. And I think these are guys who are on your list, and I they would be on my list too, but they might be higher. Uh, and not because that they're – you know, at least in one case, an all-world player, but just so important to the team. I think I would have had Austin Pope a little bit higher than you had him at 11, and I think I would have had Samaglia a little bit higher than you had him at 19. I know he's a kicker, 
and that's just, nah, he's a kicker. But if you're going to be playing close games, uh, that's a big weapon to have for Tennessee. And if he gets hurt or something like that, pulls a hammy, something like that, that that's bad news for Tennessee. And then with Pope, it's not that he's just a, an all-world production type of player, but I don't know what they've got behind him unless some guys do some things. And um, he's a really good blocker. But, I mean, I guess – is Pope's kind of one-dimensional game and Samagli being a kicker, was that the reason they were where they were? Uh, a little bit. Um, I, I, I think I might have had Pope higher in, in a recent part of the list, but when I made the final one, it was like, can I really put a tight end in the top 10? So, so I think I stuck him there at 11 to sort of be the compromise. But it's fair I enough. agree with you. I have no idea what they have behind him. Uh, I don't know if Tennessee, ha- what kind of graphs they have on what they have behind him. I think, I think they have some guys that could be serviceable. Uh, but you just don't know. Um, and, and at a tight end, I mean, you can – to me, that's a position that if you wanted to, you could kind of hide it. Um, I mean, you could even almost train an offensive lineman to be another tight end. You yeah. Know? Yeah, you um, could. In, in some situations. And we know that Jim Chaney likes to play with two tight ends, and he, and he probably will. Um, and, you know, can Prince Defant be sort of that H-back guy and Pope be the end of the line, uh, the inline guy? So – um, yeah, he's a guy that if, if he was out for a while and he's he's battled through injuries, he's a really, really tough player. Um, played through a few different things last season. It's almost like he was uh, – what was our joke about him in practice last season? He was like the, bion- the bionic man, right? Yeah, yeah, he always was, had- yeah, he looked like kind of Cable from, from Deadpool who had like, <laughs> you know, like the one like metal arm and then like – Yeah, know, he'd, have, like- he'd have a sleeve on one leg, a brace on the other, uh, some of that, that KT tape. You know, you'd see, I think at one point he had one of those hamstring things that like comes out of your shoe. Uh, I, he had, I just laugh yeah, so, was, I laugh so hard thinking about some of the times where he in practice, he would kind of get dinged up a little bit or something or kind of start limping. And you could just need being like, what is it now? Yeah. I mean, but he, <laughs> he never really missed a snap. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that kind of toughness, I think that, um, Maybe that's a good embodiment of what Tennessee wants to be. They want to be that that tough, nasty, you know, rub some dirt on it, um, and, and you know. And, and he was supposed to be the pass catcher. Fiz- he was supposed to be the pass catcher. He was supposed to be the flex tight end who had a bunch of big plays in the passing game. And it's crazy how it works out sometimes. Yeah, and there's a few guys on this list that are that came in differently and have, have kind of embraced something new. And Pope's one of those guys. Kevon Bennett's one of those guys. Um, where where you know they came in. You know, Bennett was a defensive lineman at one point and. Now he's, I think he's just at like 235, which is like 40 pounds less than what he was listed at when he came in. So, yes, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and you know, Samaglia, yeah, I think it probably was. And I'm not, you know, you know me, I'm not prejudiced, prejudiced against any sort of specialists. Um, I, I prefer punters, but kickers are good too. I understand that. Um, you know, it, it, I love nothing more than to see a, a guy just unleash a bomb. I got spoiled, I guess, by Trevor Daniel. Uh, for three seasons, yeah. Watching the Col- um, watching the Colquitts kick was something else, man. It would be like watching a like a cannon shot. It was crazy. And, and Michael Pilardi and, and Matt Dar as well were in that run where Tennessee was just cranking out the punters. But um, you know, Smaglia, you know, yeah. Who, where's Tennessee at last season without him? I mean, he was so important um, and and so uh, vital. Kind of, I don't want to say under the radar, uh, but he was arguably their most reliable player for part of last season. So. Um, I think 19 was good. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've got him ranked behind a lot of a lot of starters who are going to play a lot more snaps. Obviously, he's going to score a lot That's more points true. than a lot of those guys. Um, 
Uh, and if you're Tennessee, you're hoping you don't need him as much. You know, you're hoping you don't need him to, to try 27 field goals because you're you know, putting the ball in the end zone instead of getting stopped at the 30, 25, 20, so on and so forth. So, um, but, but yeah. No, and, and I think that the, the last couple of things here before we step out, I, I think that I'm really, really – uh, glad that you put both Bennett and Crouch on this list. I think that's that's pretty savvy right there, knowing that Tennessee absolutely positively needs to get a pass rush because Tennessee, if Tennessee gets decent quarterback play, pretty good quarterback play, and finds something resembling a decent pass rush, that's a good football team in my opinion. A, a great team, no, but that's a good team if the quarterback plays what it needs to be and if they find something resembling a pass rush, if they can find a way to get into the backfield without having to blitz, without having to bring Schamberger in there all the time or Bryce Thompson off the edge, or, you know, if they, if they can, if they can find a way to get a pass rush out of that front seven, uh, I think that's just for front six, I guess I should say it is nowadays, but you know, that that's, that's huge. Uh, and then one that when I first saw this list, I'll be honest, Pat, when I first saw this name pop up, I thought, that's way too early in the list um, because this guy, if I had made the list last year, would have been in my top five, maybe my top four of guys this team could least afford to lose. But I think it's probably a testament to what everybody else at Tennessee has done with that position uh, that you have a guy like Emmett Gooden at 16 because last year he was to me like when he got hurt in camp, I thought, I don't know if this is a ball team anymore because they just won't have anything at defensive tackle and they'll just, people will run right up the gut on them all day long. That'll set up play action stuff. I just thought that was kind of a nightmare loss, but the way they put the pieces together around him uh, and now everybody's back, even though Gooden's back um, that, that I, I think that's a testament to kind of what those other guys did around him, you know, the butlers and, and Middleton's and certainly Aubrey Solomon, who's on the list at 15, uh, you know, uh, Jay Blakely getting in there, uh, Latrell Bumpus being a pretty decent pass rusher there, uh, you know, as that defensive tackle type body. Um, I, I, I mean, to me, it just it shows you how much they've developed that position that he goes from. I don't know where he was on your list last year, but for me, he would have been top five for sure. And now he's 16. And I think that's about right. Yeah, let me look up where he was uh, last year. I think he was. I, 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 I did want. Yeah, I didn't want to put you in the spot on that. Hold on. Give me two seconds, listeners. While you're doing that, I'll say that um, I had him at 10 last year. Okay, good. Because I was about to say I really liked that Keaton pick in there at 22. I think he showed last year he's got a knack to make some big plays. Uh, Caden um, Hayes at 10. I think those are good. Those are good picks. Um, my, my thought on the defensive line and the offensive line, those are hard positions to put in these kind of things because it's it's a more of a group position, especially the offensive line. But I've got uh, four of them in the top 10. Uh, that tells you what I think uh, Tennessee's offense is going to look like this season. Makes sense. Um, but if, uh, you know, the defensive line, it's hard. I, I couldn't put those guys much higher than I did because um, I, I don't know that there was that much separation from like one to six in the pecking order, which is why you saw different guys would pop up with, you know, different plays at different times, different games, you know? Yeah. They're kind of a Johnny all staff or Johnny whole yeah, staff. Kind it, of and, that's a, and that's something we heard a lot from Pruitt going into last season was, yeah, there's not a lot of separation. And at that point it was, uh, it's the old sack of potatoes line sack from Derek potato- Dooley, where they're all they're all they're all the same and they're all kind of not appealing. Um, I think by the end of the year, I think probably the quantity might have been there, uh, might have been where some of the quality came from, if that makes sense. Because are you are you uh, quoting he, Napoleon Bonaparte right now? I don't know what I'm quoting, but no, it's that's just, that's um, the Napoleon Bonaparte, one of the greatest quotes kind of in military history that uh, that uh, quantity has a quality all its own. Well, maybe that's what I'm doing, but uh, you know. I, 
it seemed like they could, you know, you know, Aubrey Solomon was out for a couple games, but you couldn't really tell because the guys that came in and, and got more snaps for him uh, in his absence did a decent job. Um, and so you, you didn't see that much separation. I put those three guys on there because I think those three guys, uh, Solomon, Middleton, and Gooden, are probably, if there were guys to have sort of a quote-unquote breakout or sort of separate themselves, I think it'll be those three guys. And I think that would be my starting three at this point if Tennessee was playing on Saturday that, you know, Gooden, depending on where his health is, uh, I couldn't put him much higher than 16 just because we don't know what his health is going to be. Um, coming off an ACL injury, you never want to assume anything with those kind of things, especially with, on a defensive line where uh, you need explosiveness, you need, you know, you need your lower body to, to help you anchor in and, and take up those double teams and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think, I think Solomon and Middleton probably have the most upside of that group, but uh, yeah, it, it's hard to, it was hard to figure out what to do with those defensive linemen. Cause you know, they did get good play from Matt Butler. They did get good play from, uh, Latrell Bumpus, um, two guys you did mention were Greg Emerson and, and yes. Brock Arlen. Who Emerson, yeah, um, was a, is a guy that we forget about sometimes. He's almost like the Sean Schamberger of that group. You just kind of forget uh, that I, he's there I, and does good things. And, and by the end of the season, Garland was was playing more than him and, and doing a pretty good job. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it was kind of hard. I couldn't justify putting those guys too much higher just because that's a group position. You know, that's a position where they have a lot of depth and um, they didn't. You know, you, you couldn't they, – they kind of have a lot of guys there. You know, if they lost one of those three guys for a certain period of time, they wouldn't obviously feel it as much as if they lost Henry Toa Toa for a longer period of time. So, yeah, that's – but if you're going to play good defense, you have to stop the run, and I think those guys are important to what the uh, what Tennessee wants to do up front. Here's my last point, Pat. Uh, when I look at your list this year compared to last year, and I, I think about this team this year compared to last year, I, I think of – just the absolutely remarkable job that this staff has done. And I, maybe remarkable is too strong a word. I think sometimes we get caught using words that, that mean, you know, maybe more than they should. But but I, I, I think this staff has done just a fantastic job of flipping this roster up front. Uh, this is be the third year, and what they've done, proof will be in the pudding. they got to go out there and play games. I get it. But when you look at – what the line of scrimmage looked like when they got to Knoxville and what it looks like just a couple years later, to me, that's uh, just a stunning development, what they've done with those groups. Yeah, I think the offensive line especially. Um, you've got uh, one of the best offensive linemen in the SEC and Trey Smith. Obviously, they inherited him, but uh, I think, you know, he's had to overcome a lot of, a lot of situations um, uh, with his blood clots and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But you bring in Cade Mays as a transfer. You sign Wanya Morris. You go out and get Brandon Kennedy as a transfer. Um, you know, those are the four guys in this top ten. You know, two, three of them are guys that the staff brought in, and two of them are transfers. So, um, yeah, I think that speaks a lot to it. And, and there's a lot of guys. I mean, I mentioned in, in the intro of this series that you know, there were a lot of guys last year that that weren't on this list or even near it that that turned out to be very important pieces for Tennessee. I think Jerome Carvin was one of those guys. Aaron Calvert had some good moments. Sean Schamberger was not even – I mean, where would he have been on the list last year? Yeah. Um, I mean, he, I mean, he, he, he was the guy who would, – would he even still be in the program for that one? Yeah, I mean, he was – he spent part of the 2018 season in the doghouse. So, we're, <laughs> from doghouse to top 15 most important player. And, um, you know, I think that – and we saw this last year too, is that, you know, you need those other guys. You know, you obviously need these, these big names to play well for you every week. But you also need – 
you need your backups to be ready. You need situational guys to be ready to come in and, uh, and make a play when they need to. Jay Blakely is a great example. Uh, plugging away, hard worker, plays a handful of snaps a game, but on the goal line against Kentucky, he was there to make that play. Yep. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you need those guys to, to step up. And I think a Ramel, uh, I think a Ramel Keaton too, Mississippi those, state. Those, those fringe players. Yeah. I mean, you, you need some of those guys. K Ron Calvert was a guy that, that played well late yes, in the season. Yes. So, yes. Um, and, and that's what, that was a positive development for me for Tennessee last season was that they got a lot of these guys that were kind of ready to come in and play well. And, um, and, and there will be a lot of guys that weren't on this list that weren't considered on this list that, uh, that will, with you know, depending on what the season looks like, hopefully we'll we'll play an important role for Tennessee and, and be the guys that, that could be the difference in uh, seven wins, eight wins, what have you. I think that's a good place to leave it. I think that's a really good point, and I think I'm not going to be able to top that. So Pat, I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one stand. You got anything else, buddy? That's it. All I got. All right, guys. Think that'll about do. I'm gonna get the music cranked up. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find all of us on social media i'm west rucker 24 7 on twitter patrick brown is p brown 24 7 on twitter ryan callahan is ryan callahan 24 7 on twitter and grant ramey is grant ramey on twitter speaking of ramey he does a great job running our facebook page and if you want uh, a lot of tennessee news uh, on the facebook form he's got you covered facebook.com slash go 24 7 or if you want tennessee news on twitter that's just tennessee news and it's not us doing our other things personal stuff you can go get that at facebook or twitter.com slash go 24 7 if i can say that right or if you want to go directly uh to that east tennessee mountain spring water get it directly from the tap that pure goodness pure goodness Go to GoVols247.com. I'm telling you, we are cranking out a crazy amount of stories for the kind of situation that the sports world is in right now. We have got fresh content every day, and not just recycled stuff. Fresh content, good stuff, unique stuff, every day, insight, analysis, team coverage, recruiting coverage, basketball coverage, uh, some baseball coverage, certainly, uh, with how much better they're doing there. And then Maria Cornelius does a great job covering women's sports, Lady Vols basketball, uh, softball, all that stuff, including some recruiting stuff. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. Last thing, please go in and rate and review this podcast. It would help us out a tremendous amount. I see how many people are are listening to this thing. I see the numbers. Uh, We should have more ratings and reviews based on that. Please, please go do that. That would help us quite a bit. Uh, Pat, you got final thoughts? Nope. I got one. Wear a mask. See you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it 
in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 